Well, Jesus is preaching to us the greatest sermon on holiness ever preached. <clears throat> and in the sixth chapter of Matthew, we are learning from him the depth of religious practices. He has taught us about the essentials of prayer in the model prayer. He has taught us about fasting. And now he is teaching us about the use of material things. And we are lingering almost on his every phrase. They are so rich. Now, three weeks ago, I preached on, uh, we're, we're, we're at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, if you want to turn there, if you have your scriptures. Three weeks ago, or was it two weeks ago? I can't remember. I, I, I preached about not laying up for ourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust and additionally wrinkle <laughs> can destroy. We're, our bodies are kind of symbolic of treasures on earth, how it just kind of all goes away. And as I said, uh, time is a wonderful teacher and a lousy beautician. And so you, you look at our bodies kind of falling apart, and that's how the things of the world eventually do. They just fall apart. And Jesus is saying, therefore, it's not a good idea to invest a lot of your time and your energy thinking about those kinds of things because they're all going to go away. And, and besides, thieves can break in and steal. So that's not where to put your values. And sometimes it takes God taking those away. Some of you know this. Sometimes it takes God taking those things away before you ever realize that. You know, there's a story about Alexander the Great who, upon the eve of his battle conquering Persia, he looked out and he saw the soldier, soldiers, his soldiers, his entire army was so enamored and so attentive to the spoils that they had gathered so far. All of the, all of the riches and all of the, uh, um, the goods that they had stolen from conquered nations that he decided that he would go and gather all those spoils into one place and burn them. Because he knew this about battle. It must have your energy and your focus or you will lose. And so in order to face their great battle, he destroyed their playthings. God sometimes does the same thing to us. Now, Sometimes it's by just letting it go away because there are, there are natural things in the world. Uh, there are evil people. There are swindlers. And sometimes God just permits that to happen. I was talking to a guy the other, the other day and uh, he got in a business deal and, and somebody just took off. And as a Christian, he's standing responsible for it because he's, he's true to his word. But in standing responsible, responsible for it, he's going to lose everything he has materially. And I was kind of sympathizing with him. And he, and he just kind of quieted me down. He said, yeah, well, no, don't, don't, don't go there. They can take everything we own, but nothing of what we love. Now, there's a guy who has his values in the right place. And so God will say to us, watch how attentive all of those material goods are making you be to them. Because there's a more important investment you need to make. And that comes with the next verse. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And last week, I talked about the first two ways the Bible says we can make investments in heaven. We can lay up treasures for ourselves. I talked about the easiest ways last week. 
I talked about how we can redirect our material goods toward uh, the use of specifically eternal things and thereby be better stewards of the other 90%. I talked about the tithe and, 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 and beyond that, how, we could, how our financial and material worlds could, could make a difference eternally. But I also talked about behavior and our schedules and how we can use ourselves in order to have an eternal influence. But in doing that, I, I knew, as you know, those are, those are very simple concepts. You decide to do those, and you can pretty well do them. But here's, I saved the worst for last. Now, there's one more way that God says you can lay up treasures in heaven, and that is ministry to people. This is the most frustrating because you know as well as I do, people are not natural cooperators. People are frustrating. They have minds of their own. People are ornery. You know that because you're that way. I'm that way. We all know that. And so when God says, I want you to invest your lives into people, he is telling us the toughest task in the world. And he knows that because he did it. Read that sermon text verse for the day. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, the reason God wants us to be stewards at all is not so that he can do something with our things, but so that he can have us. He's not interested in our things. He's interested in us. Where your treasures is, there will your heart be. And that is God's treasure. That is God's treasure. It's always been like that. You understand, do you not? You are God's treasure. He, from the time people were on this earth, came after them. Remember Adam and how he and Eve sinned with the forbidden fruit and how the natural consequence of sin is always to hide ourselves from others, especially others whom we should love and who should love us. We will naturally separate ourselves from them. Sure enough, they were behind the bush. What did God do? Came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he called out, Adam, where are you? Now, you need to understand that was not a geographical question. God knew where Adam was. You can't play hide-and-seek with God. It's not like he can't see behind a bush, for crying out loud. It was not a geographical question. It was a biographical question. Adam, where are you? Where are you with your life right now? Take a look at yourself. Where are you? You understand? But the point to this is, it was God seeking him out. That's Genesis 3, 9. Genesis 4, 9. Same thing when Cain killed Abel. God came to Cain and says, where's your brother? Where's your brother? Came looking, see? And it's been that way all along. You know why? Because he wants to be with us. Because we're his treasure. It says in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's God's treasure, to be with his people. Read the end of the book, Revelation 21. How I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and the sea is no more. And I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Those are not theological terms. Those are terms of intimacy. Those are terms of warmth and love. And, and I, ho- I heard a, a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And God himself shall be among them. And they, he shall be their God and they shall be his people. And God will dwell among them. That is the end of the story. You're his treasure. Some of you this morning are feeling all alone like God dis- doesn't really know. He doesn't really care. He doesn't notice what you're doing. He doesn't know how you're giving your life right now. I want to tell you, you are exactly wrong. He knows the details better than you do. He pays attention more than you can ever ask or think. I bought a book. I read a book this week called, uh, it was one of those chicken soup books. You ever seen those little story books, chicken soup? They got a chicken soup book now for Christians. Chicken soup for Christians. I like those little stories. And, and a story in there was about uh, Ken Gobb, who was a, 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 an evangelist a preacher in the in the 70s. And he had, a, he had a radio program and a television program and, and traveled, but traveled around and with his family and did the evangelism uh, circuit. And, you know, ministers can get discouraged like everybody else. Even when they think they got some great stuff going on the outside, they, they really start to question, am I really making any difference in anybody's life? I don't know. Um, and that's what was happening with Ken at that time. He was very discouraged. And he was down uh, driving I-75 just south of Dayton, Ohio. And his family was hungry, so they wanted some pizza. So he pulled off into the first uh, exit that he saw. And, and his family all got out of the big bus or whatever it is, and, and they ran into the pizza place. And his wife got off and said, well, are you coming in with us? He said, no, I just want to, you know, I just want to stretch my legs and be alone for a little bit. He's kind of discouraged. And so she said, okay, well, we'll be over here. And so he saw a Dairy Queen, you know, two doors down. And so he decided to go get a soft drink, went and got a soft drink, and, and came out and started going toward the pizza place where his family was and passed by a, a, a gas station with a public pay telephone, and, and, the, and the pay telephone was ringing. And uh, so he just walking past. The man had rung like ten times, and he kept looking at the gas station attendant, and he, it was like he didn't even hear it. So... He got past it, but it had rung like 15 times. And he's th- thinking to himself, as you would, man, this could be an emergency. And nobody's even getting this thing. So he, he went back and he, he picked up the phone. He said, hello. And, and the voice of the operator said, this is a person-to-person call to Ken Gobb. Is he there? And he, he said, what? She said, this is a, a long-distance, person-to-person call to Ken Gobb. Is he there? And he's looking around, I mean, his one eye is looking around for the candid camera thing. And, and, but, but he says, well, well yeah, I'm Ken Gobb. And, and the voice, and this little lady's voice on the other end says, that's him, that's him, I recognize his voice. And so she put the call through. She said, Pastor Gobb, this is Millie from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, but I've just gone through the roughest night. I felt all alone, and I was about to take my life. And I thought to myself, if I could just 
if I, maybe if I could just talk with that preacher I listened to on the radio, then, then maybe, maybe I wouldn't. But I didn't know how to get in touch with you. And so I felt discouraged. And so I just continued with my suicide note. But then I paused. Some numbers came into my head. And I wrote them down. And there were enough here for a telephone number. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a miracle of God if I called up and this was Ken Gobb's house? And so I called that number. Is this where you live? He said, no, I live in Washington. I'm in Ohio. She said, wow. Well, he talked with her a little while. He said, don't do that. You're too valuable to God. Let me recommend somebody to talk to where you are. And after he got off the phone, he thought this. Not only did God know where she was, God knew where I was. I want to tell you, numbers or no numbers, God knows where you are. God's paying a great deal of attention to you right now. You know why? Because you're his treasure. <laughs> You've got to understand that you're his treasure. Now, it's just a short jump to say, okay, if I'm his treasure, then the person I'm trying to love is his treasure. The person whom he has put into my path is his treasure. And it's just a, a little nudge to say, but God, it's complicated to love that person. It's complicated to give myself to that person. It's complicated to invest myself in this person. If you're talking about laying up treasures in heaven by investing myself in people, I want you to know this isn't easy. And he knows that. You know how he knows that? Because he did it. John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God knows the cost of loving. It says in Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody knows better than God what it's like to love ordinary people. That's why he says, that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. I want you to do that because people are more precious than anything in the world. You remember Silas Marner? You remember reading that novel? Remember how Silas was, the, was, the, was the, the, the miser that would get his gold out every night and, and, and by the light of the fire count his shiny gold? And how somebody stole his gold. And one night, a little girl whose mother had died in the snow saw the light of his cabin and she came in. And while he was asleep, she laid down on the hearth just to get warm and fell asleep herself. And Silas woke up and looked at the fire, and for a moment, seeing the shining of that light on the girl's little gold locks, he thought, somebody's returned my gold. Little did he know that he had something more precious than gold. And we've got that in our lives. Not easy, <laughs> not easy, but precious. We've got to understand that love is not about profit. Love is about precious. Love is not about profit. Love is about profundity. Love is not about how, somebody, how, how happy somebody else can make us. Love is about how we can give ourselves to them, whether we're ever happy or not.
It's very important that we understand that because it is very complicated to love. And it's getting more, it seems like it's getting more complicated every day as more and more, we, we, we learn how to love in more and more detail. You know, uh, let me just take a, a, a couple of examples. Marriage was never so complicated as it is today. I, I don't care. It was not so complicated. I used to ask my grandfather what it was like to be married. I asked him what, what it was like to date. What it was like to date. And he'd say, Joey, it wasn't nearly what you guys go through today. He said, you'd spot a girl, okay, you kind of check it out, and then, and then you'd, you'd go visit at her house, sit down in her parlor, talk, you know, and then the first time you could go out on chaperoned, it wasn't, it, there wasn't a big checklist. There were like two things, and that, does the man qualify um, socially? That was much more important back then. And uh, will he, can he provide for a family? Those are the only two qualifications I had to meet up to. When I went out with your grandmother the first time in the buggy, my largest concern was, does the horse have gas? <laughs> he honestly said that. And the rest of the story is, yes, and it was not a good evening. <laughs> He said it was horrible, but, but, but he said it wasn't complicated. You know, when you guys, do, and, and, and when my mom and dad got married, my mom and dad got married in the middle of World War II. And it was like, man, there's something happening here. And, 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 and I, I could love you like crazy for the rest of my life. You could love me like crazy for the rest of my life, but you may not be alive tomorrow. This long-term planning, working out the future, isn't going to happen. But, but let's get married now, and we'll figure out the future when it comes. You see? It wasn't so complicated. Today, oh my goodness, it's complicated. I'm so glad I'm not dating. It's so complicated. You know, I, I, I read a book this week, um, um, Venus and Mars on a Date. Now, some of you know uh, John Gray's writing. John Gray has struck the mother load uh, when it comes to clinically noticing the difference between men and women. I mean, this is, this is pretty accurate stuff. And so he wrote, uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And in that, in that whole thing, he says, you know, we just have different ways of communicating with one another. And what we think we said isn't what people hear just simply because of their different perspective. And so he has sensitized us to the intricacies of intimacy and the communication. And, and so uh, I read this stuff and I'm thinking, how? And so I'm reading this book, Venus and Mars on a Date, and how different men and, hear, men and women hear things. Like a, like a woman will say, I'll just ask a man a question because I know a man likes to, to answer, likes to be in position of being able to answer something. So I'll ask him to tell me about something so that he'll feel closer to me. So she asks him a question and he starts to wax eloquent. And about halfway through this speech, she's realizing he's not feeling closer to me. He's feeling closer to whatever he's talking about. I could go to Sheboygan. He'd never notice. This guy, this guy is really into what he's talking about. He just loves to talk. A man, well, well just out of politeness, and, and, and if he knows anything, say, well, tell me about your day on a, on a date. Well, a woman, a, a woman, if she's talking to another woman, shares positive and negative stuff because that's a part of intimacy. But a man doesn't want to hear the negative stuff. I mean, woman, women don't know it. Men don't even know this. But a woman, when she starts to, 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 to mount up the negative stuff, feels like she's sharing what will bring him closer. He's starting to think, wow, she needs a lot of fixing. I, I don't know. You know. 
she's, she's a negative person. I'm not sure I can ever make her happy. And you know, he hasn't got the brains to say, tell me about your day, but just the happy stuff. Because <laughs> I feel like I get to fix everything else. You know, it's just men just think like they think they think dumb. It, is, it doesn't end with dating. I mean, the, I mean, communication and, and feeling like you got to be the, the make the other person happy goes all the way along. And there are you get into areas where there are absolutely no answers. There'll be a time, men, when the woman that you have loved for a long time will turn to you and say something like this. You know, I bet if I lost some of this weight, I'd be a lot more attractive. And she'll stand there and look at you and wait for you to say something. <laughs> now, I want to tell you, men, you have just entered into a dimension of time and space <laughs> where there are no right answers. But being a man, you're going to feel like you need to come up with one. And so you will invariably say the wrong thing. I mean, it'll sound good to you, but she, let me tell you three things not to say that, that, that really sound good to you. A, don't say this. Don't look at her and say, you know, you're, you're just perfect for me just like you are. That is exactly the wrong thing to say. You, you, think, you think you just became, un, you, you just showed her unconditional love. You know what she just heard? Yeah, you're fat, but I don't mind. <laughs> that is what she just heard. You didn't say that, you didn't even think it, but that's what she heard. <laughs> B, don't say this. Well, you know what? I, I think you're great, but if you want to lose weight, man, I'm behind you all the way. I'm, I'll help you diet. I'll, I'll work out with you. I'll do whatever I can to help out. Now, you just think you said something supportive there, didn't you? You know what she heard? Yeah, you're fat, and I do mind. <laughs> that didn't cross it. That's what she heard. See, don't say this. You know, I don't, I can't believe everybody's talking about weight these days. Everybody, every, I don't, what's the big deal about weight? How much you weigh doesn't have anything to do with what kind of person you are for crying out loud. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just sick of the whole subject. I just wish everybody quit talking about it. Now you think, men, you think you just put the whole thing in perspective. You know what she just heard? You're not only fat, you talk about dumb stuff. <laughs> There are no right answers, men. You know your best bet as a man of the 90s? Burst into tears. <laughs> Just go ahead. <laughs> Say something like, I don't know how to answer, but I love you. <laughs> Throw yourself on the mercy of the court right there, man. Crawl out of the room. You know, it's so complicated to love. It is so complicated when there are no right answers. It's complicated for, for friends. You, you, you have friends and, and, and some of them aren't, haven't quite, quite got the drive you do. And so you, so you, you, you kind of want to go ahead, but they're just kind of saying, oh yeah, too good for me anymore. And so they can, you kind of got to go back and be with them. It's complicated to invest yourselves into somebody that doesn't want to move where you want to move. 
I heard a genie joke this week. You know those genie in the bottle jokes? I always get a kick out of those. <clears throat> Three guys trapped on a desert island. Bottle comes floating in. Genie pops out. It says, okay, I got three wishes for you guys. One, one apiece. And so the, so the first guy gets his wish, and he says, he says I, I, I want to be on a boat, and I want to have a cell phone in my hand. It's a single guy, you know, a real achiever. I want to be the CEO of a huge company. I want to be on my own boat barking orders to, to my company back in the United States. Poof, he's gone. The other guy's a family man. He says, I just want to be with my family. I want to be with my wife and my kids in front of a fire, loving on them. Poof, he's gone. Third guy looks around and says, I just want, to, I just want my buddies back with me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a pain to have to go back. But that's what love is. Love is, love is not achieving everything you can. It's, it's loving as deeply as God does. It, it, it's, it's having the character of Christ. And, and, and God says whenever we do that, we are loving God. You see, the two great commandments in the Bible, Matthew 22, you can read it for yourself, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's because we're God's treasure and he wants to be with us. But the other one is, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know why that one is? That's because every ornery, cantankerous, hard-to-love person is Jesus in disguise. You can read that in Matthew chapter 25, if you like. When people didn't realize that every time they were loving somebody that was tough to love, every time they were investing their lives and their time, into somebody that was ornery, as ornery as they were. Jesus was being made welcome in their lives. Let me tell you one more story, and then I'll quit. I, I, I love this. This came from that chicken soup book, too. It's a story about this mom and dad with four fighting kids. You talk about tough loving. <laughs> kids are tough to love. They need tough love and they're tough to love. And so they had these four kids just going after it all the time. And the mother came up with a brilliant idea. It was, it was about five weeks away from Christmas. She said, I got an idea. Let's play a game. Now, in order to play this game, you've got to be able to keep a secret. Can all of you keep a secret? And they were like 10 and under. And they said, oh, yeah, I can, I can. They can't, but I can. The mother said, okay, here's the game. We all love Jesus, don't we? Yeah, we love Jesus. Well, for Christmas, we're going to build him a manger. Eric, you're the oldest. You build him a manger. And, and then we're going to go out and collect straw. And one piece of straw at a time, we're going to make a soft bed for Jesus. And we can, we're going to see how soft we can make that bed for baby Jesus. Now, the catch is this. The only way that you can put straw in there is you can put one piece of straw for every act of kindness that you do that is unknown to the other person. At the beginning of every week, we're going to gather on Sunday. We're going to put all of our names in a hat, mom and dad included. We're going to draw a name out. And for the rest of that week, you've got to do kindness. You've got to do something good for that person and it'd be unknown to them. And for every act of kindness, you can put one straw in a manger. 
The kids right away said, what if you hate the person? <laughs> the mom said, you know what? Then you can pick out a fatter piece of straw because that's tougher to do. Well, okay, they thought that'd be all right. So they, <clears throat> they all gathered. <clears throat> they all drew their, their names out. There was giggling, you know, they couldn't tell anybody. Except Eric, the oldest guy, drew his out and just <clears throat> grimaced. Well, man, that week, I mean, it was, it was like fun. It was like a game. Uh, messes got cleaned up unbeknownst to uh, other people. And, 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 and somebody, somebody would, would uh, uh, turn somebody's bed down or make somebody's bed or, or, or put somebody's shoes in the closet. You know, all kinds of just little things. And, and slowly there began to be some softness for the baby Jesus. Second week, same thing happened. <clears throat> but Eric drew his, put it in his pocket, and went off. Kindnesses all week. Third week, everybody was giggling and laughing by this time. It's a pretty good system. Except for Eric, who drew his out. And he looked like he's ready to shoot somebody. The fourth week, the week before, before Christmas, Eric draws the name out again. And he looks like he's going to burst into tears. He runs out of the room. And the mother follows him. He says, I've got to leave the house or I'm going to ruin everybody's Christmas. And so she lets him pack a little suitcase and go out and just sit in a, a, snow, a snow dump for a while. Or a snow, a snow drift. For about ten minutes. That's sometimes good to do. <laughs> then she went out and sat beside him. Said, honey, why do you feel like you're going to ruin everybody's Christmas? He said, because for four straight weeks, I've drawn Kelly's name, and I hate Kelly. She says, well, you know what? You've done a good job. I tell you what. I tell you what. I drew a, a name tonight, and I didn't look at it yet. So maybe just this for tonight, we could switch names. I'll take Kelly's name, and you take this person's name. And that way, you won't ruin everybody's Christmas. Really? That wouldn't be cheating? No. So they get up and they go back in. That night, the mom goes to turn down Kelly's bed and lay out her favorite nightshirt. But it's already done. Along with Eric's favorite red car laying on the bed. The point is... The imagery is that as we are kind to the people that are most difficult, we're making a place for Jesus in our lives. Pray with me. God, help us <clears throat> to understand that love is not about being happy. Love is about being like you. Love is about investing ourselves into other people, no matter what the consequences. We may not see changes ever, but we can always be sure that we're doing the right thing, the godly thing, the Jesus thing. Thank you, Lord, for being so plain, both in your behavior as a servant and in your language as a preacher, to show us that the eternal things are not anything we find in this world but people. So help us to invest our lives in them, no matter how ornery they are.
because we were that way too. Amen.